lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep, deep in perdition. If our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise to attrition or blatant nepotism. Currently hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Matt Farkas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed with guest hosts Otis Griffin and Yusuf Hassan. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the September 27, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. On this day, September 27, 1966, a riot broke out in San Francisco's Hunter's Point, a black neighborhood when a white police officer shot and killed a 17-year-old African-American teen, Matthew Johnson Jr. This resulted in the National Guard being called out to allay white fears of a black rebellion. Tonight, we'll try and unpack some social and cognitive issues while covering the articles of the day. I'll also speak about some of the movement's current agendas and objectives. We'll even call out a few folks by name and ask hard questions about their activism efforts. Our abolitionist in profile is the North Carolina Quakers, who at one point were the largest slaveholders in North Carolina. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we remember the Servants' Plot, September 1st, 1663, which is described as the first serious conspiracy plot by enslaved blacks. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is former suburban Chicago man Jason Strong, 42. His conviction for 1999 murder was thrown out because of invalid evidence, and he will receive a $9 million settlement with law enforcement agencies involved in the case. Got a question or a comment? You can call us toll-free, USA, at 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Peace. Hey, what's up, um, Max? Peace to you as well. I got a question off the bat. Did I hear that correctly? And, and I know I did because I just read it. Our abolitionists in profile is the largest slaveholding uh, Quakers in North Carolina? <laughs> exactly. And there's a story behind it, which is one of the reasons people should hang on and listen to how they ended up becoming the largest slaveholders in North Carolina. Well, I, I got a clue if they are abolitionists. Uh, um, our profile for tonight, I got a clue. So, all right, no doubt, brother. So, uh, what's been going on with you this past week, Scotty Reed? Uh, just I, really, I you always busy, man. Just trying to catch up on stuff. Our uh, August report was real late, and that was cause I was traveling, and then trying to take care of some other things behind the scenes. But I got all caught up at about two o'clock. PM, I mean AM last night, so I got that report out, 
And I, I just been trying to, you know, just stick to my routine, man, trying to put out media every day as much as possible and, you know, just trying to provide people with uh, my take on what's in the news. Absolutely uh, correct thing to do, man. Have a voice, use it. <laughs> I mean, it's not that difficult to figure out. If you got a voice, use it. This is that time that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about where he said there comes a time when silence is betrayal. That time is now, like literally right now. And and that's been something that's been on my mind for the past, uh, well, longer than a few weeks. I've always been wary of it, but now even more so because it makes so much of a difference. And that, that is people who are practicing double think uh, publicly. You know, they'll say one thing with the black community or with advocates who are working towards ending this system or talking about abolition and then they'll get on CNN or MSNBC or wherever the hell it is that they get a paycheck from for being on and they never mention any of that. You know, it's a whole different story. And uh, I'm calling out names today of a few. I want to know why it's like that. I personally think it's double thing. But then again, it could just be somebody simply selling us out. Yeah, that's true. Um, after I saw this segment on the Jimmy Dore show, show um, or Dore, however you pronounce his last name, he has a YouTube channel, this, this white progressive guy, and he did a pretty interesting segment on Joy Ann Reed, who I had the pleasure of being blocked on Twitter because I was calling <laughs> out her nonsense, and I wasn't disrespectful or anything, but I was pointing out her nonsense to her, and she didn't like that. So she blocked me. But he did a segment, man, and I posted it in BTR community. I don't know if anybody else had a chance to check that out. But it showed her in 2008 when mm -hmm. she was advocating. This is before she got her million-dollar payday at MSNBC. But mm -hmm. before she came to MSNBC, she was telling it like it is. I mean, she was a what, what, what do they call that? A, a, a truth teller. And she definitely was telling the truth about Hillary Clinton, saying Hillary Clinton was insane and talking about how she wanted to uh, stay in the race because uh, uh, Barack Obama might get assassinated. But then, fast forward after the Obama administration, and now, you know, he's been elected, and now she's gotten a paycheck at MSNBC after they fired Phil Donahue uh, for telling too much truth. But uh, I think it was Phil Donahue. Um, but yeah, she picked. She she got picked up by them, and I mean, he started showing clips, you know, of her quotes and tweets and and how she just did a, a one eighty on us, and it, it's cause of that money, man. It's cause of that yes. money. Them butter biscuit chasers. Um, one of the people that I'm planning on calling out today, I'll just name right off the bat right now is Roland Martin. But before I do that and ask the questions of Roland Martin, one of the things that he recently came out with with this video he had of a gentleman who is uh, the, I guess the president of the super PAC blacks for Trump's or something like that. It's, a, it's supposed to be a business super PAC, some kind of yeah. business, but it's funded by white men. Right. Funded by these, not just white men, but white supremacists with a history of racism. And, and they're paying for this uh, space for black people so they can come to it and legitimize their racism through these black spaces and black people. And he got cold busted by Roland Martin. All the information is right there. I mean, he showed who's paying the money, where the money come from. Dude's like, oh, we get thousands of donors from across the country. And Roland Martin is like, you get what? Thousands of donors. 
and he said, "Yeah, go check it out. It's uh, it's available online through the government uh, and what we have, you know, uh, published, so people are familiar with where all our money is coming from." And Roland Martin actually went and did that. Found out, you know, it was like eighteen donors, and most of them were white racist supremacists. And then the person who provided the most money was one in particular. But the video is available on New Abolitionist Radio. It just shows, man, how these guys are out here doing the bidding of people who would enslave their own family members. Right. And doing it for pennies, like $25,000, $50,000. These people that are giving you that $25,000 and $50,000 could spend that on breakfast and not even notice it. Yeah, the black person you're talking about now, I don't know if they're a billionaire or not, but all this uh, typed in the chat room, you're talking about Raynard Ren- Mercer. And I, I have yes. seen that video. Uh, I watched it as well. And I don't know if he's a billionaire or not, um, but um, he's funded by billionaires. Rich, white, right-wing, Christian, conservative. Well, I don't know if they're Christians. Raynard Jackson is the guy, I believe. No, it's Raynard oh. Mercer. Okay. Yeah, Raynard Mercer. So, I mean, I thought Roland Martin did an excellent job in going in on him. But in terms of abolitionism, I never pegged him for abolitionist. Um, He'll talk about reform, but as you often have stated, Max, and I'm often fond of repeating that you can't reform slavery. You have to abolish it. And so remember during the debates when he and Donna Brazile was trying to help Hillary Clinton and gave her uh, the questions during one of the debates and um, Roland Martin was one of the hosts or the moderators, I don't know if it was really a, a, we call it a moderator because it was really Hillary just Hillary Clinton, wasn't nobody else wasn't like she was debating anybody but that's when the brother who had gotten released from death row found innocent you know, cleared, vindicated what have you and then he asked Hillary Clinton about um, modern day slavery and human trafficking. I think it was a black female who who put her on the spot too. And I saw Roland Martin as running interference for Hillary Clinton. So I I ain't never trusted that dude. Well, Scotty, the thing is though, he has actually done an entire broadcast on the Thirteenth Amendment and modern day slavery uh, on July in July of two thousand and. Uh, 15, or actually July 15, 2016, this is what came from his program. Martin, host of TV One's News One Now and the Roland Martin Show, offered other several titles for his audience to read as part of the Roland Book Club. These titles include Slavery by Another Name, Bind Us Apart, The Counter-Revolution of 1776, Empire of Cotton, The Global History, and The Half has never been told slavery in the making of the American capitalism. And it goes on to say that, did you know that the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution abolished slavery and preserved the institution of free labor through the institution of prison. The 13th Amendment reads, and then they read that, listen to Martin explain the, uh, the how the southern states used the prison system and slave patrols, now called police departments, to arrest black people on trumped-up charges in order to maximize their free labor in prison. So it's not like this dude don't know. He know damn well. And every time the opportunity arises to speak about this, it's not this that comes into play. It's always reform. And he's always hanging around these people who have these the, so much power, like the Clintons, dancing with the Clintons and things like that. 
and never charging them with crimes against humanity for the things that they have done well, under I, I, this I, I, 13th Amendment. I also got an issue with, with the wording of what you just read. Again, how can you make an exception for slavery and claim to abolish it? If I heard you correctly, they said that slavery was abolished and then they start using free labor through the prisons. Come on, dude. He played word games by saying slavery was abolished and preserved the institution of free labor through the institution of prisons. That's some confusing stuff yeah, right That's what I'm saying. Why not just say slavery? But I, I think um, uh, Otis um, it, it wants to chime in. Otis, greetings. Yes, I did. I didn't want to get you mixed up. It is Raynard Jackson. It's the okay. black guy who runs that super PAC. And Robert but it's Mercer funny. Is it's Robert Mercer from Renaissance yes. Technologies yes. is the guy who runs the supercomputers that also in a, supposedly interfered with this election. He yes. was the one that came in when Ted Cruz dropped out of the race. He and the Koch brothers switched their backing to Trump. They're also the ones that went through Mercer's daughter, Rebecca, who took over and forced Manafort and Stephen Miller, who's still in the White House, and Rance Priebus. They all took over Trump's campaign and forced him to take on the cabinet that he has because Robert Mercer runs Renaissance Technology, and what all of they are is somebody that skirted the rules by using supercomputers to game the stock market. I'll let you go from there. And, and hey, what's up, Otis? How was your week, brother? I loved it, man. I could tell from what was going on that this is going <laughs> to be a lit one. I've been telling people get on over here and find out what evolution is all about. I'll listen in. Word, man. Word. We always appreciate you. That's why I introduced as guest host because you're here to chime in whenever you feel you need to, man. Your source of information and people should check you out and follow your page. Uh, Otis Griffin on Facebook so they can keep up with the information you provide. It's a, you have a, a different perspective and that's, that's beautiful on certain things. But in any case, man, Roland Martin, uh, the, uh, Robert Mercer is making these donations to this guy, Raynard Jackson's super pack for businesses. And now they have Steve Bannon scheduled to come and speak to uh, black entrepreneurs. So, you know, they're using the term black, like they're representing black people or a segment of black people, but they're actually working for white racist supremacists who are paying them to do that and lying on national television about what they're they're doing and who's paying for it. That That is like unacceptable to me. And, and I mean, he should be a pariah right now. Now, that segment that Roland Martin did with him, man, he put him on blast, man. That was an excellent. I mean, that's the thing. I think um, I think Roland Martin has skills, man, as a communicator. Uh, he's very engaging, even entertaining at times and, 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 and putting out information. But every chance I get, Max, I'm looking for a way to interject modern-day slavery and human trafficking in every news show I do. I'm always, I don't do not one episode of Black Talk Radio News without mentioning the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery. Because if you really, really, really are concerned about slavery and you acknowledge that it still exists, I don't see how anything else can be on your mind. So I don't know if perhaps, you know, he wants to do it and they won't let him do it. I, I don't know. I, I can't say, but um, yeah, he too close to these slavers for me. 
too close to the slavers for us, but yet he's one of our thought leaders, as you said. We like him. He does a lot of good work in the community. He says a lot of the right things. He holds a lot of people accountable. But when it comes down to the core issue, the thing that everything else is revolving around right now, although he is familiar with it, at least to some apparent degree, he never has anything to say about that. And I find that highly questionable. I want to know why is that? Do you suffer from cognitive dissonance, Roland Martin? I mean, are you a victim of doublethink as well? You're one of the brightest people out there. You're a pastor, a man on a mission. And when once you become an abolitionist, like Scotty said, it's not like you stop being one when you're in certain spaces. You're always an abolitionist. Because an abolitionist is a person that wants to see the end of slavery, which is practiced legally through the 13th Amendment. Not to reform it, not to fix it to make it prettier, brighter, and better, but to end it as we see it right now in our alleged justice system, which now is one, actually an injustice system. Now, one of the questions I do have about this so-called black entrepreneur conference that this super PAC uh, with with a butter biscuit chaser, you know, uh, leading it is... I wonder what kind what kind of entrepreneurialism would they be pushing? Will they be pushing investments in private prisons? Hmm? That, that's what I want to know. Cause I have you know, we've heard them say that before, Scotty. Uh, black businessmen say that publicly. Yes. We should be investing money in these private prisons. Yeah, and actually I'm not gonna call their name out to embarrass them. This is an elder in the community, well known, but I set them straight, man. Um, on the conference call when they were talking about if our people are going to be the uh, predominant population in prison, then black businesses ought to be getting these contracts. And I went off, man, in a respectful way, but I went off. And I'm like, so that's your game? It's to profit off of the imprisonment and enslavement of our people? Really? Is that it? And now now the person is an abolitionist. That's awesome that he, now he is an app. Sometimes it just takes a little explaining, a little nudging. It's not that difficult. I have literally explained it to grammar school children, entire classrooms full, and they understood. This uh, Friday, 8 a.m., I'm scheduled to speak with a high school class in Ohio uh, via uh, Skype. So I'll be, you know, meeting with these high school students and talking to them about abolition and slavery and things like that. It's not that difficult. What makes it difficult is that cognitive dissonance, that double thing, where you think that this is something other than what it is. So when you're on MSNBC, you're talking about, oh, these people who are protesting right now and kneeling and raising their fists are protesting the uh, police brutality and the uh, extrajudicial murders of African-American children. How can you not connect that to slavery? These are slave catchers out hunting black people. Sometimes they kill them because they don't care about their lives. Sometimes they brutalize them because, again, they don't care about their lives. And they're always ready to kill them instantly because of the fear of a black man that has been generated through this system's propaganda. So how is that not related? Like, you're talking about the symptom again and ignoring the source. You know, um, Colin Kaepernick, shout out to Colin Kaepernick, while he did not make that he that connection when he started his protest, he later did make that connection when he started yes. tweeting out the slave catchers badges and, and pointing that out. 
And I, I just think that he needs to include that in more of his messaging and pointing people directly to the 13th Amendment. You know, we got new abolitionist radio, five years of archives, of information, news stories. There is no doubt. Nobody can argue with me about whether slavery or not uh, was abolished or not. Because the 13th Amendment, if you can comprehend English, settles that question. So, but you are right, Max. We are, a lot of us do keep talking about symptoms and are not making that connection. And I'm willing to give the, the masses a pass on that because, hey, it, I was in my 40s before I realized it. So, you know, we've been programmed and brainwashed with all this uh, information about slavery being abolished abolished by Abraham Lincoln in 1865 and, and all these movies supporting that lie and the public education system supporting that lie. So, I, you know, I'm willing to give the masses a pass on that, but it's certain people, like you just mentioned, Roland Martin knows this. He knows this. Uh, Avery DuVernay knows this. Other people, they so-called intellectuals know this. And they just, I don't know what it is, man, that they are n not correcting their language and using more accurate language so there is no confusion. But Otis wanted yeah. to chime back in before we moved on to another story. Otis? Yes, I, I, I wanted to tell Max, I was excited because what I keep sharing, I share across several platforms. And I go directly to these people, whether it's Jonathan Capehart, Mark, Mark Lamont Hill. These are people who are supposed to be the voices of our people. When mm -hmm. they want to use coded message to appease white people, which are the primary people who advance white supremacy, Say I have again, no problem. I have no problem holding them directly accountable. As a matter of fact, I've been chastised on Facebook repeatedly in most of their threads because rather than beat around the bush, I take it, I take the exact quote of their words, mm -hmm. put it there, and ask them to explain it to me because this English is not computing in my head. The 13th <laughs> has never been abolished. There's an exception clause. So when you tell me that you understand we went from the Fugitive Slave Act to the Black Codes to Jim Crow to White Knights, Citizen Councils, and then the other history that you don't want to talk about, which is mass massacres of people from Colfax to Troubadour right on through. This is documented history of white people burning out whole black communities and the government walking away and allowing it to go on. So you can't get on CNN and tell me you want to talk about messy politics. No, it ain't messy politics. It's outright genocide. If you want, as a matter of fact, uh, Trump has caused something that I didn't expect to see. Even Roland Martin that you're talking about now, even mm -hmm. though they played a part in trying to carry the water for Hillary, as they keep saying, all these euphemisms, the bottom line is he cheated and, and, and went back door and was just as corrupt as Donna Brazil was. So I hold him accountable. Donna Brazil has blocked me too for saying the same thing. Don't tell me God knows your heart when we know that you broke the rules that you claim to abide by and you want some kind of moral equivalency that is okay because she's a better person than Trump. No, they're all right. white supremacists. They're all they're all abusive to the black to black communities. And if they don't want to speak 
on black issues. Another one I pushed them on, I don't want to hear this mess about identity politics. All of politics is identity. You see who Trump is playing to right now. They have people on, on CNN talking about Trump was chumming up his base. If, if I'm the chum, then I have a right to talk to the president directly and say, no, Colin Kaepernick was not trying to talk about a flag. He was talking about just what he said. Mm -hmm. Systemic oppression, people mm -hmm. dying in the street, no accountability for cops who kill them that actually get a paid vacation, and then we move on. If you want to dial in and see some gladiators on football, and you don't want to hear about the pain that a gladiator's family is going through, then go right on and get your, uh, what do you call it, DirecTV and Comcast and ATG. Go ahead and break your contract with them. I want to see their cultures go down. I want to see private <laughs> prisons go under. I want to see people stand up and understand that the 13th hasn't been abolished. Private prisons are an integral part of your life, and you need to do away with them if you want any civility in this damn country. It is so simple, man. Go straight to the roots. When Sean King was addressed by Hunter X out in Ohio, and he was there as a speaker, he was sitting there next to Nina Turner. And Hannah said, what are you doing to end slavery, Sean? <laughs> what are you doing? Because this is slavery, and we need to be serious about what we're dealing with, and we need to correct our language. And she went on to him, and she'd heard him before talk about, you know, it being slavery. So what are you doing now? And he could do nothing but agree with her 100%. He gave a wonderful little speech about how this has, you know, always been slavery, and the cases he's following, and how people don't understand the moment. But if that's true... And it may be true that people don't understand the moment, as Scotty references a little earlier. But you do, Sean King. You do exactly. understand the moment. Exactly. And, and you know what's going on. And you've written articles about it. You've been in uh, documentaries that have won freaking awards about it. Uh, you, in black spaces, explain how it works to people. But when you get in these white spaces, when you have an opportunity to address the issue of modern slavery and abolition, you are silent. At best, you talk about reform. So th is that how we deal with slavery now, is reform? We reform it? That makes sense to anybody listening to, to us tonight? That It's slavery. It's a crime against humanity. And what do you do? You reform it. I don't know. Sean King's another one I'm calling out today. Again, man, I'm, I'm like this, though. You know, we when we talk about slavery in the past tense, and I'm talking about everybody, the masses, even if you still haven't come to the realization, you recognize that as one of the greatest crimes, if not the greatest crime, against humanity, except for perhaps, you know, the extermination of certain right. indigenous tribes and what have you. But... If you recognize that as one of the greatest crimes against humanity in the history of mankind, how can you come to the realization that slavery was never abolished and you totally understand that, you totally get it, but you don't speak about it every opportunity you have? Every article that I will be writing about the 13th Amendment, I mean, excuse me, about any of the symptoms, I will be interjecting as best I can and telling people this is because slavery was never abolished. Read the 13th Amendment. I mean, every opportunity. I can't have a conversation with people about politics or anything concerning black people without mentioning the fact that slavery was never abolished. 
That what you see right. over there, that's slavery. That what you see right there, that's connected to slavery. This over here, that's connected to slavery. I, I just don't understand it, man. It's on my mind. I live, eat, and breathe doggone abolitionism. <laughs> you are an abolitionist. <clears throat> you are an example of what an abolitionist means. It's, it's something that you know for sure that this is slavery. And unless you are some kind of I don't know, sociopath, it's got to be your top priority because it includes genocide. It includes uh, rapes and abuses. It uh, includes brutalities. It includes injustice. It includes racism. It includes all the terrible things that you see happening to us right now. We're in states like Vermont. We're being incarcerated at 12 to 1 when we represent less than 2% of the population. These are all included in that. They're not the core issues. They're part of it. And it's a thing called slavery. And you can't seem to pucker your lips up and say that in front of the white people. <laughs> it's it's a part of the daily destruction of the black family. When you look on social media, what do you see? We're in a we're in a state right now, and I, I saw it earlier, but I want to fast forward to it. I heard about this in sixty-five and listened to uneducated black people tell me what I was going to experience. And I'm their age finding out. They knew exactly what they were talking about. When I go on social media and see when you talk about black males being incarcerated and killed in the street, do you know what I see when I go on most black threads? Black educated females complaining because they are being pushed to the side for domestic abuse. Don't you realize part of why you can't have a wholesome relationship is because of the decimation of your sons, your daughters, and your, I mean sons, and, and husbands and fathers that is part of the residual of what the 13th is doing to us mm -hmm. Matthew, when you when you incarcerate a human being they talk about the difference between dying in the street you actually have young men walking around dead right. you can't get love and empathy from somebody who's been caged for years with no hope except to what be released in the street and then tattooed as a criminal for the remainder of your life no way to be productive and you got people running around talking about a redemptive a forgiving how can you forgive when you got a, a person running around completely detached from reality because all they have is the memories of being locked in a cage treated inhumanely this that that in itself should make wake some, some of these people up but instead they want the focus to be just domestic abuse i can tell you personally I got male friends that I don't talk to now because of their history with domestic violence. That's a personal thing for me. I encountered it enough in my youth that I absolutely abhor it. But that doesn't mean that I don't understand. Part of it comes from the remnants of what's happening to people with the stench of the exception clause. You know, who have decimated black males in our whole community. You know, Otis, that's um, Tommy Curry. I was supposed to have him on about a week ago, but um, he wasn't able to make the broadcast. But I'm going to have him back on. But I've been following Tommy Curry, Dr. Tommy Curry. I think he's at Texas A&M is where he uh, teaches at. Um, but he's done a tremendous job in exposing that, again, domestic violence is a real issue. I've had issues with it in, in my family that we've had to address. My my daughter's ex-husband uh, act like he want to put his hands on her, and he had to get threatened. You know, and I'm <laughs> you know uh, he had to get threatened. 
and told what would happened to him if it, if it happens again. So I don't want to deny that that is an issue. It's a very serious issue. But don't put it all on black men, okay? Don't try to act like it's black men that's doing this. Why you want to colorize domestic violence and put it all on black men? These are supposed to be your sons and your fathers and what have you. And you know what? I can even connect uh, domestic violence to slave catching. Who's exactly. the biggest Who's the biggest exactly. domestic violence abusers of their wives and girlfriends in the United States? That would be See, who? Now That's you're reaching that for truths. That would See be, that? I'm sorry, that was who? Who's the biggest abusers? The slave catcher. The slave catcher. As much as four to one liable to commit uh, abuse upon their spouses. As much as four to one. So I take issue with these different elements in the black community. Like Dr. Tommy said, it's an issue. It is an issue. But they're trying to act like it's a genocide. When you have less than 300 instances of, of deadly domestic violence in the black community, and it's not just happening to black women, it's happening to black males as well. The first time I ever got punched in the face was by my ex-wife. Okay, I mean by a woman was by my ex-wife hit me in the face and no I did not retaliate against her so let's start at, domestic violence is a community issue it's a people issue and you know I, I just really resent those people who are part of this effort to demonize black men and, and, and so I guess they're butter biscuit chasers too cause somebody paying them to push that narrative well, that, well, we're about five minutes break. after the thirty-minute mark, Scotty. Did you want to take a break and then come back, or are we going to? Go no, we're going to take a break at the top of the hour. I think Otis has something. At the top of the hour. Well, I was okay, going to say because I keep watching a lot of social media, we're being displaced. When I say we, I'm talking about native-born Black people. Our experience here in America is a lot different than people that just come here with Black skin, and I'm noticing that the dissension when it comes to black males and black females seems to be from blogs that are written by females that really don't know the black USA experience. They've come here with green cards. They talk about their domestic violence and I understand their life story, but they can't extrapolate that to be in the whole of what's going on in this country. As a matter of fact, you bring it up, Scotty. I don't talk about it much in private, but I had to leave the mother of my child for the very same reason. Because when you're trying to give them some kind of support for the hell that they're catching on the job, then you come home and decide you want to beat and knock on me and the child. No. Find another job. Find a way to, to make money at home. But you can't take your frustrations out by being physically violent because I know what's going to happen eventually I'm going to snap back and you're going to call the slave catcher. So it's not a one directional thing here. And Dr. Curry talks about it a lot, but the same black females that are complaining about their domestic issues are the same ones that don't mind putting their hands and striking you and then want to use some age old shit about chivalry. No, it doesn't work that way. Violence is violence and it's destructive. And a lot of it comes from the oppression of black people and the 13th amendment. Yes, sir. So, 
Yeah, man. And, and, you know, there's like two other names that I want to drop tonight because I want to be out there in the atmosphere that we need them to get their shit together. Pardon my language. But we need them to get their stuff together because you're playing games with people's lives. People are dying while you playing these games. I understand what's going on. It's a trickle-down effect. It starts with the politicians that you're hobnobbing with. Those ones you are calling buddies of yours. See, politicians don't care about groups that can't vote. Prisoners can't vote. Felons, unless you have some kind of special privileges from the governor, can't vote. Uh, there are movements to bring their voting powers back, but as of now, uh, but generally speaking, they can't vote. So when it comes to politicians and politics, uh, they don't care about that segment. And since they don't care, they never address any of the issues that affect that segment of our population, despite 15 million a year going in and out of these prisons and jails. And they lead to those talking heads that we're referring to today who are all over television talking about what they want to talk about when they know what's going on. They don't mention it either because the politicians don't care. And they're trying to be one. <laughs> and then after that, since your talking heads don't care, it leads down to your community. Your elders don't care. Your church leaders don't care. The people around you who should don't because of that trickle-down effect. And another one of those people is Mark Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont Hill is brilliant, passionate. I have seen him argue with white supremacists and just rip them apart. But he never uses the knowledge of the 13th Amendment or modern-day slavery when he does it. And he literally created a 20-minute video on the subject, broke it down as good as Scotty or Otis or myself or Yusuf or John Coolidge or anybody else could, broke it down like I know what I'm talking about and meant every word. And then he gets on television and he never has anything to say about it. That's that double thing that I'm talking about. That's a problem, man. You're confusing the hell out of people, and you need to stop. Pick a side. It either is slavery or it isn't. How are you going to play these these word games when you get around white media and white politicians and, and, and elitists? I mean, how, how can you do that knowing people are dying while you're playing these games? Mark Lamont Hill. You need to get it together, bro. And the last one on my list will be Van Jones. <laughs> Come on now. Come on, people. Van Jones, right? He's the guy that cried on TV about Trump winning and all of that stuff like that. He's been on 13th. He has an organization now that's fighting mass incarceration. He knows exactly what's going on with the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery, but he ain't never got nothing to say about it on television. He's a CNN contributor. He had his own program at one point, and he never dedicated any time at all to talking about this there. But he'll go on tour where you need to buy tickets to come and see him and talk about things in that vein there, but on the mainstream media's dime, he don't speak about that. That needs to stop. It really does. Like Scotty said, you're not an abolitionist yesterday and then not one today, and it depends on who's in the room and you can't talk about it. That's not how it works. You either believe this is slavery or not, and if it's slavery, it better be important to you, because if it ain't, I'm wondering whose side you are. Yeah, and, and Max, um, in the importance of, of words, um, slavery never being abolished isn't a belief. It's a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. It's not a belief. It, it, it's not something like some invisible person that I believe in, or 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 stuff I can't see, or or what have you. No, I can point you to 
uh, document, the supreme document of this land called the U.S. Constitution and prove that it's a fact. It's a fact. But Otis, help me out here, bro, because I think I heard you say something about this before. Doesn't, isn't Van Jones in business? I could be incorrect and it might be somebody else that's in business with uh, Newt Gingrich and, and setting up some kind of company that's going to profit from the reform of slavery? Oh, reform of slavery. And what he had is a, a deal going with Newt Gingrich that I think really ran into some headwinds because they were so sure that Hillary was going to win. He and Newt Gingrich were trying to come up with this thing to stop criminalizing drug users and small uh, marijuana violators with the federal package. So they formed a company, but now, like I said, because Hillary didn't win and the Justice Department has changed over and the Trump administration is not going for it, I haven't seen anything else in it in, in the news about it since about June of last year. But I, And I want to say something else, too. I, I have a bunch of associates that are white, and I've hear, heard from them for years about that subject makes them uncomfortable. And I don't mind telling them, if you're uncomfortable just hearing about it, trying sure. to be educated about it, try living it. Try See, living so, it. so I have no sympathy for you if the only way we can have a relationship is I have to worry about whether or not you're uncomfortable. The most disheartening thing to me is I run into it with a lot of black professionals also. You try to bring up the subject to talk to them about it, and they either dismiss you with there's nothing you can do about it, or that makes me uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable because you think because you moved to a different zip code and you don't have to see your distant cousin that's a victim of going to jail for what? Not not having child support because he didn't have a job or uh, uh, with uh for cannabis possession and then being being treated like a dog for whatever period he was incarcerated and locked in a cage, but you want me to be concerned about Peter. No, doesn't work that way. Yeah, you, oh, you want to? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't have it. You want to talk about the reality of what the exception clause is doing to our lives? I can talk. If all you want to do is tell me about what went on in some brand new movie that's coming out that's got nothing to do with freeing people, then you and I don't have a conversation. I want I, right. to add some names to the list, and they not on television. Okay. And I and I have respect for these for well I got respect for one of them, but I wish <laughs> I, I wish that that Yvette Carnell would start pushing more um, the abolitionist narrative. You know, I I was watching one video and she just came so close to calling it slavery, but just stopped short. And 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 she knows me. She knows me. She's been on Black Talk Radio Network, various programs. I interviewed her in the past, and I leave comments. And like the other person they work with, Antonio Moore, the attorney, Antonio Moore mm-hmm. does great work on the uh, on Black economics and how you know we don't got no money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And destroying these myths about the uh, trillion uh, in spending power and, and what have you. But he was one of those that again pushing these myths, talking about everything except for the the disease that is the cause of all these symptoms, and that's slavery. And I wish some of them, they are not, you don't see them on TV, but they have popular social media accounts and YouTube mm-hmm. accounts, 
and lots of influence. I would like I would like to hear more facts on 21st century slavery and human trafficking uh, coming from them. Now the yeah. other person, this person, uh, I don't, yeah. If I might interject, just something in regards to what you just said. I recently had a conversation with another activist who was trying to put together an event under Frederick Douglass's name that would include uh, Yvette Carnell and two other people and potentially me. And I was very clear that I'm not coming to talk about nothing if I can't talk about ending slavery. I don't want to talk about economics anymore. I don't want to talk about reform. I don't want to talk about education. I want to talk about ending slavery. And if it's not about that, then I don't want to come, period. <laughs> and he was like, well, they talk about it. I was like, no. They, they don't. don't. At least that Carnell that I know has never really spoken about this. And if that's the case historically, then why should I expect it to change at this event? So, no. Right. Well, and, I, I'll drive in and tell you, I've been guilty of listening to both your programs on a Wednesday night before I started calling in. And I have actually phoned in and told them on air, you will never advance your view on how to be successful and lift up black people in this country if you do not tie it into the 13th Amendment and the exception cause. I've had that conversation with Irony, who is her companion on her on the show, the brilliant guy and works at Georgia Tech. He's, he's a philosophy major and all that. And they don't want it. Well, we want to, we don't want to bring into that angle. I said you can't separate it. You will never be successful. Say, say that again. Trying to, to what? What did you say? They said that we don't want to do what? They said we don't want to we don't want to detour into that. And I told them, you have no choice. You cannot advance your agenda as long as you ignore the but, elephant in the room. But the wait, 13th wait a minute, Amendment oh. is tied to all of it. Hey, the hey. legal enslavement of people, no matter what their class or nationality is. If you are black and brown and poor, you can be snatched up by a slave catcher. And you cannot stop that unless you get rid of it. You will never advance your people as long as we're under that system. Well, I'll say this, and then I got one more name to toss out there, and I tossed it out there before. And, and again, I'm not attacking these people. I'm just stating the facts. I'm stating the facts, and I'm trying to recruit you to abolitionism. But how are you going to talk about black folks getting their politics right and you not even talking about slavery was never abolished? Okay, what kind of black politics is you talking about that don't address 21st century slavery and human trafficking, the number one issue facing us today? And the other person, I don't deal with this person no more because he stole from me. Okay, and that's Boyce Watkins. Okay, I had put together a petition to the White House when Barack Obama was still in there because if you got 50,000 people to sign the petition at the White House, then the President of the United States was supposed to address whatever issue you brought up. So I made one solely talking about the 13th Amendment. And I'm trying to recruit people to help me get this 50,000 signatures. I push it to Boyce Watkins. He tells me privately, oh, that's great, brother. And, and then he posted to his profile one time. And then the next thing I know, a month later, here he comes out with a celebrity signed letter with Lil Wayne and, and uh, Will Smith and all these other people talking about mass incarceration. In a yep. letter to Obama. And Van on that list too. In a letter yeah. to Obama. So I don't even deal with him no more. And because he won't even answer me when I ask him, as you talking about all this investing in Wall Street, why you don't never talk about not investing 
in prison in companies that use prison slave labor and not investing in private prison companies. So you, you I mean, what's the problem? What's the problem you got talking about that? Unless you're invested in it yourself. That's my thoughts. We got a call from area code 973. Been hanging on patiently. Uh, let's go ahead and take this call. We got about 12 minutes to the top of the hour, and we'll take our first break. But 973, uh, I, I think I might know who this is, but please go ahead with your question or comment. Hey, peace, family. This is uh, Yusuf. Hey, you uh, What's happening, Yusuf? Welcome home, brother. <laughs> Hey, man, so I'm, like, running around with my head chopped off right now because we're on Stork Watch, so. <laughs> Uh-oh, uh, probably... baby about to come? Right. Yeah, you're, you're about to drop any 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 minute now on us, so. <laughs> All right, you... let us know, another little warrior. Yeah, we're getting ready to add some more abolitionists to the fold. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah. brother. Congratulations, yeah, bro. Trying to, yeah. trying to catch up with Max, man. <laughs> You know, I just called in a couple of minutes ago, and, I mean, I already know, you know, because, I mean, I didn't catch the full segment, but, you know, I already know where we're going with this. I mean, part of one of the issues that we're having is every time we catch some momentum, someone that has, for lack of a better term, star power, comes along and undermines everything and taking everything in the other direction with some other name, you know, whether it's mass incarceration or I don't, I don't know, some whatever other name they o- use. Over-policing, over-policing, policing for profit, uh, yeah. Everything. Call it everything but slavery. And that's a major issue right now, you know. I spend almost all day having arguments about that, not even dealing with the issue of slavery, but just convincing people that it's not mass incarceration, that it's not over-policing, that it's not all of these things. All of these things are just one little element of slavery. So, yeah, you guys are definitely hitting it, man. You're definitely hitting it. It's necessary, I think, at this time. There's a narrative war going on, as you mentioned, and we've seen it happen again and again and again, even up to the point where we were organizing the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, August 19th. You remember all those white supremacist rallies that suddenly appeared around that date and on that date? And literally right after the 19th, they canceled over 30 of them. They no longer are having them anymore. It was as if it was all put up as a distraction from what we were trying to accomplish there, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did did you guys... uh... Uh, address this whole kneeling situation in the NFL yet? Uh, kind of. We're saying, you know, regardless of what they're, they think they're protesting, they're protesting slavery and human trafficking. They're just talking about symptoms of it rather than uh, the actual source and problem. But that's because of a lack of understanding. And I, and I get that. That's why we're here today yeah. trying to tell these talking heads and intellectuals and thought leaders that you need to get your behind on board and stop playing with people's lives because the reason they're not talking about it is because you with your gatekeeper behind platform is not saying a single word when you know what's going on right you know I was really looking at the the bait and switch that happened you know to where everything you know we know why Colin did what he did he made it clear 
as to, you know, he can't he, he can't stand up for a flag or an anthem where it oppresses people, where it has police brutality. And we know most of the league didn't support him. And then all of a sudden, you know, Trump makes this planned comment. It was it was planned. So now you get the you know almost the entire NFL all of a sudden taking a knee, not about what Colin took the knee for, but about what Trump said. So it's like the whole movement got stolen. Yeah, you know, the that's whole the idea is to it's about the police brutality. It's about the systemic mm-hmm. racism, and now it's all about because Trump called everybody sons of bitches. That's what mm. now it's an anti-Trump movement now, and it was that's deliberate. It was exactly. deliberate. I he knew him. how they were going to react, especially the owners. Because you got to exactly. come on, Jerry Jones out there taking a knee, and you know I got to make sure I don't curse because that's how angry I am about this. Wow. So he's out there taking a knee now, but I can guarantee you, none of them are going to turn around and sign Colin because it was a, it was about the movement. What the knee was really about then they all should be lining up to sign him now. No, they right. came out there to protect that shield. All they care about is that shield and that dollar bill. That's all they care about. And, and, and since you bring it up yourself, I'll tell you, man, you know, and I had thought about putting a video out on it. I just ain't had time because Wednesday is so busy. But now Ray Lewis, who I gave some kudos to, however oh, late God. he was, taking two knees. I don't know if it's because he got bad knees or whatnot, and he couldn't just get down on one. <laughs> but but he, he took two knees in solidarity yeah. with the other Ravens players, and now he's coming out and denying that he was protesting. Oh, I was praying. You butter biscuit eating well, knucklehead. You know what? He's man. telling the truth. He's, he's telling the truth. Exactly. He he's is telling, telling the truth. truth. He, he wasn't protesting. He wasn't protesting because he's he's been against it the entire time. He exactly. Oh, he's It's no different than what they do with most of these movements. It's a rebranding. The same idea behind COINTELPRO. I've been relentless on Facebook saying I don't understand how anybody believes that Jerry Jones taking a knee before game means he's in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. No. What they've done is rebrand this to be, we're not going to disrespect our flag. As a matter of fact, just before I tuned in with y'all tonight, I actually listened again to Van Jones because I couldn't believe he was on a CNN panel actually saying what we're saying now. No. Colin had nothing to do with the flag. As a matter of fact, a Marine talked to Colin about sitting. Boyer is his name. That's supposed to be a de- decorated Marine. He talked right. to Colin and said taking a knee was a way to be respectful in front of the flag because that's what happens when you take a flag to a gold star parent. That's what happens right. when a comrade dies in battle. So right. why don't you take a knee? So that shows the hypocrisy of the whole system. And I'm upset with, with Shannon Sharp is the only one I've heard that's really been faithful about this thing. LeBron right. and none of them had anything to say about Colin when it was directed about police brutality, systemic 
uh, oppression and people dying in the streets and not be, no one being prosecuted for it. Those are the three main things that Colin Kaepernick said. No one from the NFL except for Eric, I can't think of his last name, one of his fellow uh, teammates, and Eric one Green. or two, and that, exactly, and one or two other NFL players stood with him on those three things. It wasn't right. until that I've been saying it, I even called into Yvette Carnell that you talked about and told her. I'm sick and tired of Negroes acting like everything is a Tom Joyner moaning show or a Steve Harvey early morning ride. Everything is about the dozens. You had a known bigot call somebody an SOB, and now your feelings are hurt, so now you want to steal kneeling to conflate it with some disrespect for the flag. No, if white people are upset because black people are finally kneeling in mass, let them be upset because the truth is if they can bring down the NFL by trying to do away with their what direct TV or Comcast subscription, if that's what it's going to take to bring liberation. Hell, shut it down. I don't watch them anymore since since my favorite Steelers let a, a rapist run the team. So so I'm done with them. It doesn't matter to me what they do in the NFL, but don't steal kneeling for oppression and try to make it some marketing tool for unity in sports. Sports have never been unified. You know, just... Oh, I'm but, sorry. Go ahead, brother. Hey, we got a break coming up oh, in three just minutes. just going to say... All right. Uh, well, let me say this, and then well, I'll take it to the break. Uh, we got to remember okay. that even us discussing it at this level and taking up this much time is one of the things they hope to achieve, to take us off course and have us talking about things like they are that don't apply to the source and the issues. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. We're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. We'll be right back after this. Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. Tuned in to Black Talk Radio, new black media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We've been talking about uh, the people who are really out there considered and acting as thought leaders and uh, the things that they're putting into this atmosphere and the, the distractions that are being caused, the confusions that's being caused because of the Double think that is being expressed through these talking heads and writers and communicators and thought leaders. 
And uh, we're not necessarily attacking them. We're just saying, what the hell is wrong with you? Why aren't you on board this? You know everything about it. You, you're, you're already familiar with it. But for some reason, you be si- you're silent in certain spaces and not in others. And that says a lot in itself. We already know, Scotty, Otis, myself, Yusuf, and all the listeners know that this story, this narrative has been seen all over the world. Like literally all over the world. The cat is out of the bag. Most people already know what's going on now. They, they've been right. that critical mass has been hit. We have uh, leaders of other nations specifically addressing the Thirteenth Amendment in U.S. human or uh, U.N. human rights uh, uh, conventions. So we know that the world is talking about this. I'm being asked to come to Ghana to help fight it over there. You know, so like I said, everybody's familiar with this. You're choosing now to remain silent. And it's not just the talking heads. Sometimes a lot of our activist friends on the social networks who, you know, will share everything about anything and never are scared to say anything except when it comes to the 13th Amendment and slavery. They, they got nothing to say about that. It's like, mm. and And it's not, I feel sometimes like they look at us like flat earthers, but because they know we're right, they can't say it like that. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, there's that Max guy again. Remember I told you some years ago when I met uh, Reverend Barber out in North Carolina, a friend of mine was talking to him about me later on, and he's like, yes, I've encountered Max Parthas. See, you, you don't meet me, you encounter me, <laughs> because I come at you. I, I'm not holding it back. We're going to call names today. Well, let's sure. throw in some more. Barbara Lee, right. Maxine Waters, Cory Booker. I, uh-huh. Those are three people. Maxine Waters, Barbara Lee, and Cory Booker. I stay on them on Twitter, and I, I swear I, we need to come up with a way to bombard these people when we see them do stupid things. I do it to to all of them. I hit them on Twitter, but I'm only one person. I, if we could get 40 or 50 people to start bombing their Twitter feeds first thing in the morning on stupid stuff they say, send it straight to their Twitter feed. They'll either if they if they block us in mass then big media is going to pick up on it because these feeds get followed. I've had more people follow me on Twitter for attacking Van Jones, uh, even the Donald Trump in his tweets because I just can't stand the stupid when I see it. Ambassador Andrew Young went on Meet the Press with some stupid stuff about what he did for Atlanta. And when you go and find out what he did, all he did was bring some German companies in that are that hire people for eight and nine dollars an hour and gentrify the whole the whole community and it's doing nothing for the black black people in Atlanta. When you go to Atlanta now, whole neighborhoods that were once black have been bought out by companies like Mnuchin's and and Trump's son in law Kushner with with what do you call vulture capital people have bought up whole blocks of of the communities and let houses set empty so they can drive the prices up. They don't care about people being able to, to the 250,000 black families that lost their homes since Barack Obama came in in 2008. They don't care about these people ever become home buyers again because they're already renting at inflated prices. So this that's the kind of stuff we need to start doing. Group bombing on these people. Well, Otis, make them shut down on Twitter. Otis, I like your ideal, man, and we definitely can use the uh, Facebook group move to abolish 21st century slavery. But your ideal on hashtagging, if, if like yes. say like for, for example, what if everybody hashtag 13th Amendment 
new abolitionist. Slavery was never abolished. And on every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. That's that's a good start because that's exactly how Obama used moveon.org. I, I went through, as a matter of fact, I, I won't, don't want to use too much time, but I'm going to tell you. I wasn't wise to social media. I only bought a computer because I have a son at, at 40 years old. And, and it was new, so I had to learn it because I had a child that was on it. But I learned to watch people's writings, and I could figure out which people worked on Barack Obama's first campaign that now run these sites like Alternet, Liberal America, and I would send them private messages and say, aren't you the one that did so-and-so? And they'd say, how do you know? And i said, because I read a lot, and I could tell by the way you were writing. I could tell by the words you're using. And some of them started coming back, double checking on me and would tell me, oh, I know you served in the Air Force. I know this. So I knew they were taking me serious because they were using aliases in their in their writing. And I'm sending direct to their private messages saying, I know who you are. I know you work for MoveOn.org. I know you helped Obama with this and that. So the power of this media, we can do it. We don't have the money, but we can certainly do it, like you said, with hashtags and with memes. I'm trying to learn now how to come up with these bean machines because I don't like the ones with the cats. I want the ones that say, Cory Booker, how come you took money from this pharmaceutical company on this date and this date? I want to do what Roland Martin is playing around the edges with. Yeah. I want the facts and every and you got a thousand people tweeting it to you first thing in the morning. So now you can't talk about the game on Sunday. You got to talk about who is this crowd is after my butt. Hey, I, I do I do want to um cause we got I mean Max posted like damn near fifty stories, man. No way we're gonna get to all of them. But I would like to point out that we've been making headway without those people we just named. Have we not, fellas? Have we not? Okay, because yes. we, because if Newsweek is writing an uh, article talking about slavery was never abolished and mentioning the 13th Amendment. Dog, we didn't took it mainstream. Nobody was putting this out until New Abolitionist Radio came along. Nobody was putting this out on a regular, consistent basis until we came along. All right? And now we are seeing, okay, we named all the black people who we wish were stronger abolitionists. Uh, or were public with their abolitionism. It, it don't do me no good for you to tell me in a private message that I'm right about slavery never being abolished, but you don't you you don't use that. You don't put that information out to your following, your huge, you know, fan base or or, or what have you. But there's an article right now. I want to turn it to some good news. There's a couple of states if these are recent articles, Max we got the Denver Pulse reporting campaign. Well, actually, before you read that, just to let you know what they are, Scotty, is we had a meeting with the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March that I told you was coming up. Well, it happened this Sunday. And one of the things that I'm taking upon forming a committee to remove the exception clauses from state constitutions, those articles are states that have already attempted to remove the exception clause or are ready to remove the exception clause. So we have a pool to choose from groups that have already paved the way and have some headway and understanding in what's happening. Right, right. And and we reported on this when it was happening. So that's why I was asking. I'm not sure if these are recent articles or, or but I see one's coming from 2016. Uh, the other one, I also believe Colorado's uh, move. What was it? Amendment T. 
was was that yes. yeah amendment T that would remove reference to the slavery in the state constitution again who else took 50 weeks to examine all 50 state constitutions to see if it mirrored the 13th amendment can y'all tell me who else did that research who oh okay crickets right boys. And what's that Max boys and girls exactly and then to see even though it wasn't successful but to see an attempt was made to remove these slavery uh, exception clauses from the state constitution tells me that what we are doing is definitely having an impact absolutely and you know the article you quoted uh, Newsweek there's two things you should uh, see about that first of all the very first word that is on that article says opinion slavery is still illegal in the United States. We know it's a fact, but that discrepancy right there makes all the difference in the world. And then secondly, it's from originally from the Cato Institute. And the Cato Institute is a public policy research organization, you know, a, a think tank. Um, it says they're dedicated to principles of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. They get a lot of stuff from this Cato Institute. And if you're putting it up as opinion, that is completely disregarding the what you the source where you re- received it from. So again, that cognitive dissonance and double thing. Yeah, that's the, never ended. That's the, the Newsweek editor in a setting where that's not on the. And I don't, I don't just use my Twitter. It's this about, uh, Eric Dreister. They're pretty. They're articles trying to lie cops to demonize poor black neighborhoods. So I. Well, I don't often see the white community as the black community's thought leaders. And uh, I, I know that they do influence a lot. People follow what they say and do, you're right. But for me, the the purpose in this uh, calling out, so to speak, was the thought leaders in my own community who right. are uh, putting <clears throat> in the atmosphere that what we're saying here right now today is a lie, that it's, true, it's not true. We're flat earthers. And they're doing it not by denying it, not by offering any logical arguments, but simply by omitting it from their own dialogue. Uh, who did y'all? It's as simple who, as that. They can't counter it. They can't deny it. So they simply omit it and then go around it and talk about something else. And that is a real problem in our community. What? What? Didn't somebody? Was that this show or was that Tando? I think it was this show tonight. Okay. Somebody so, um, mentioned. Scotty, you were speaking. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, give me a second. I, I don't know if Scotty dropped off the board, but even even no, I'm still on the board. Like the one with the pound of flesh, and I find out that uh, Eric Holder's wife has tracked her descendancy to slaves in in uh, Alabama and knows her whole history of her parents living on a plantation, knowing what slavery is, knowing what Jim Crow has done, and they still don't speak out either. These are educated people that dance around the issue, but they go to right. Martha's Vineyard and give talks to their donors but it doesn't trickle down to the black neighborhood. That's a conscious decision to disown us. And I'm tired of it. I go straight at the juggler. You know, um, can y'all hear me now? There's a poem by Langston Hughes called Live Your Creed. You do that. I do that, Scotty. The people who listen to this and follow this program, they do that as well. And it's just giving an example through your own life. Not by what you're saying, but by what you're doing. What others can do too. Or find a way to do something similar. 
you not you know me scotty and others who are actively involved all the time we get these opportunities where we can speak up on this in public spaces but others listening might only get one chance in your whole life <laughs> you might be at that one place at the right time when xxx person is talking about this and you stand up and go hey what about the 13th amendment and modern day slavery what are you going to do about that and make all the difference in the world just because you did that so you know live your creed is, is what I say I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I don't do and Max. we all give examples of how it can be done Max, Max you're not on the board but Scotty just let us know that he realized he can't be heard can y'all not hear uh, me Okay. can y'all no, not hear can me keep going. can y'all not hear me he said he's going to try to speak soon well, I'm no, trying to speak that. now, so I'm going to just call back in. Positive aspects there. Sorry about that, listeners. Uh, apparently, they cannot hear me in the conference line. Uh, something's going on with the audio card, so I'm going to have to call back in. Uh, give me just a second as I do that. What I was You're attempting. Black Talk Radio Network. All right, here we Uber go. Conference line. If you would like to make a comment during live programming or you are an invited guest, Hit the star key twice on your dial pad. Wait for the host to acknowledge you and always remember to watch your background noise. This conference is being recorded by the organizer. Slavery in their narratives and projections. Can you hear me now? uh, Just barely. You kind of went in and out. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, I had to call back in my audio cards uh, in the system with, with Screwy. But what I was trying to say, um, and I want to leave that issue alone because we, we, you know, we'll run out of time quick and not get to our segments. But um, the issue about them not speaking on it that we've been talking about, members of our community not speaking on it, even though they are knowledgeable or should be knowledgeable. And I'm going to say they are knowledgeable because are. because we've reached out to them directly and put this information out there. And they saw the 13th. They saw that documentary. They know about it. So I think it was mentioned earlier in the program, Martin Luther King was quoted, something about silence. Yes. There comes a time when silence is betrayal, and that time is now. And that time is now is my own words. I say that's that's definitely uh, applicable here. Yes, sir. But, you know, that's what I was saying just a moment ago, Scotty, is that uh, there are those who are not being silent. As a matter of fact, Chris Roundtree, uh, the, the main or, lead organizer for the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, reiterated during the uh meeting that she's going to keep the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery at the top of her priority list and narrative. And there is a narrative war going on. She's going to keep uh, that there at the forefront, as it should be. And I was very proud to hear her say that. And it also uh, made me happy to hear that the Human Rights Network is forming this whole new division dedicated to the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery. They also promised that their goal at this point is to have congressional hearings in 13 months that they should be beginning in 13 months. That's uh, what they said there, uh, basically explaining how they already have people within Congress that are working towards this goal, and they can expect to achieve it within 13 months. I thought that was a beautiful and proud thing to hear, to know that we work so hard and it's only 13 months away, and we'll be testifying before Congress about modern-day slavery and and human trafficking and how it applies to the 13th Amendment. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Um, thought our listeners might like to hear that as well. So, yeah, and we also talked about the Convention of States because, you know, we got to make a choice at this time. How are we going to get the federal 13th Amendment exception clause taken out? We know how to do the states, and we're going to do those first now to set an example for the feds to follow. But, you know, it, as far as I know, there are two ways, and that is a uh, constitutional convention and the Convention of States, which is already in play. And we know that that has been... Uh, co-opted by the right-wing extremists, the Tea Party members, and it's almost in the Trump the Trump administration's lap. And it's a third of the way accomplished. They need 34 states, I believe, and they've already got 12 working on 13. So, you know, we have to figure out how we're going to do this. We're, we know we're going to get these congressional hearings now in 13 months, but how are we going to get this exception clause handled? And that's one of the conversations we had. And it's worth having. There's also a conversation going on about um, abolition, Uh, of prisons versus abolition of slavery, things like that, which should be talked about. And uh, I think I already mentioned it, but yeah, I've decided to take on and help with a committee that's going to start focusing on the state's constitutions. I think that could really jumpstart everything because if we could just get one of these states to change it and show how it works, that could create a cascade effect. Colorado was very close within a million votes, I believe, of taking out of their state constitution just last year with Amendment T, and we'd like to see them lead the way again. If you're that close, you could do it the second time around. Also, there's Kentucky, uh, there's Wisconsin, um, there's Maryland, all of these states, and Indiana have already attempted this, so we're going to try to make it a group effort now. You know, uh, I do want to add that we can walk into bubblegum at the same time, and that people can be working on state constitutions simultaneously while another group works Mm -hmm. on the federal constitution. Committees. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what we're forming committees on certain things. Uh, matter of fact, Anne Marie was expressing to us how she wants to form a committee regarding the criminal law and how things are set up. You know what I mean? Um, we've talked about it before, where uh, it's really just a railroading system, one after the other, uh, where they set these laws into place that uh, cause these cascade effects, and the laws themselves are crooked. So she's going to form a committee looking into criminal justice and laws. So she's living it right now. Shout out to you. But if they need someone to help them with doing some research or something, I'm all a volunteer for that, man. I don't mind trying to help if, you know, go through the, the necessary stuff to get them the data they need. If that's if I can help, let me know. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, we're going to need people on these committees doing research and stuff like that. I'm probably going to reach out to you because it's going to be difficult for me to pull together these congressmen and senators to help put this thing, you know, to make this thing happen. I mean, I'm nobody from nowhere, <laughs> you know? So I need all the help I can get. <laughs> I have talked to a few of them, though. I've reached out to already to Senator Lena Taylor of Wisconsin, and we've had some communications with her office in regards to uh, a movement to amend their constitution. So, yeah, I got, I, we got some headway going on. Do we want to move into one of our segments with 10 minutes to our next station identification and I'll leave us time to do the last two as well? Yeah, we can do that, <clears throat> Scotty Reed. No problem at all, man. Um, we've been kind of incorporating the stories and I've been sharing them as we go along. Uh, they've been a part of our conversation. Rather than just focus on the story, we kind of included the story into what we've been talking about. Uh, today is about narratives, so why not? Uh, how about we do the abolitionists in profile, which would be those Quakers I was telling you about. 
Yeah, sure. Um, if somebody can pull that up, because I'm... I have it already. Okay. All right. Go ahead. All right. All right. So um, this week, I picked something that was interesting, I thought. And, you know, uh, we've been looking at abolitionists from all over the country throughout history and what they've done. And this seemed like an extremely interesting circumstance. So today, the abolitionists in profile are the North Carolina Quakers. Quakers and the issue of slavery. Interestingly, interestingly, in the early days, slavery was not an issue of conflict among North Carolina's Quakers. In fact, Quaker anti-slavery sentiment evolved slowly over many years. Although questions of conscience did occasionally arise, slaveholding was not prohibited in Quaker doctrine. In the 1750s, though, a New Jersey Quaker named John Woolman took up the anti-slavery cause and traveled widely to denounce the evils of slavery. Woolman reached North Carolina in 1757 and addressed meetings in the Albemarle counties of Perkwin and Pasquatank. <laughs> Say again, be, Scotty? There'll be Albemarle. Albemarle and Perkamons and Pasquatank. Woolman feared that slavery bred callousness towards humanity that was degrading to the slaveholder as well as the enslaved and he counsels slaveholders to end their association with slavery immediately. In the meantime, the center of Quakerism in North Carolina was shifting westward towards to the Piedmont where friends were traveling down the Great Philadelphia Wagon Road from northern colonies. Many of these Quakers brought with them a profound dislike of slavery. As a result, the Western Quarterly Meetings of the Society of, of Friends, the group that encompassed local meetings at the Piedmont, became a hotbed of abolitionist sentiment. Conflict over the buying and selling of human humans grew in local meetings again and again throughout the 1760s and 1770s. The Western Quarterly Meetings questioned the North Carolina Yearly Meeting about how to deal with the slavery issue. Surprisingly, the most pressing problem facing North Carolina friends concerning concerned the manumission or freeing of their own slaves. Moved on to Quaker Dilemma, the manumission in North Carolina. And this explains what we were talking about earlier. In 1741, a colonial law, Chapter 24, Section LVI, had been enacted that forbade the manumission of slaves except as a reward for outstanding or meritorious service to the state. County courts had the authority to decide the merits of service for each individual case and then, if freedom was granted, gave freed slaves six months to leave the state. Many enslaved persons were freed for serving in the American Revolution. As the slavery issue grew more troublesome, many Quaker slaveholders were caught in a dilemma. To continue owning slaves was becoming increasingly frowned upon in their society. However, to free the slaves just because they wanted to or because they felt they should was illegal. In April 1774, Thomas Newby of the Perkamon's monthly meeting expressed his desire to free his slaves and requested guidance on the delicate question. Newby's petition sparked a heated debate that resurfaced in meetings for nearly two years. Finally, in 1776, the yearly meeting created a committee for the express purpose of working with friends who wished to see their uh, to wish to free their slaves. Newby and ten other Quakers slaveholders then freed forty slaves, a direct violation of 1741 law. Even though North Carolina was helping its new nation fighting the American Revolution in 1776, the legislature took notice of the Quaker action. Officials were enraged and accused the Quakers of attempting to start a slave rebellion. 
In response, the legislator moved to strengthen the 1741 law by empowering county courts to seize illegally freed slaves for immediate release. The step marked the beginning of a long series of legal battles between the state and North Carolina Quakers. These struggles continued well into the 1800s and caused great hardships among the Friends. The North Carolina Yearly Meeting in 1808 acted to relieve the burdens of its slaveholding members, taking advantage of a 1796 statute that allowed societies to buy and sell property. The Yearly Meeting authorized its members to transfer title of their slaves to the Yearly Meeting itself. By 1814, the group was the legal owner of nearly 800 slaves, enslaved Africans. The Society of Friends was one of the largest slaveholders in the state. And that explains how the Quakers, as abolitionists, became one of the largest, the largest slaveholders in the state of North Carolina. We here at New Abolitionists Radio remember it and salute you. There's more to it, Scotty. I've shared it on New Orleans. That actually happened in the area that I live in. This is the Piedmont area that I live in and as you know uh, Max as I told you uh, I have family that traces their lineage mm-hmm. back to that very time period and and um, and it had to be Governor Tryon at the time that's who it was he was the governor um, appointed by this is when they were still a colony but um, Governor Tryon who was appointed by um, the British King and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, that had that happened. I'll tell you, man, it's history all around us. Like, I didn't even know that this little section of our town, I think I showed you in Tribal, a uh, little town, called, the little section of Mount Holly called Freedom, and how it yes. got its name because an uh, um, yes. uh, enslaved African who got his freedom came there because in Gaston County, um, um, former victims of slavery in this county I live in now uh, were able to buy property and he became a land baron and a very successful businessman and uh, I would call even a founder uh, an unofficial founder of Mount Holly History is everywhere around us brother I, I, I thought that story was very interesting and in how they had to fight against this corruption within the law itself which made it illegal to free slaves. Like They literally made it illegal. So the church bought all the slaves and collectively owned them and allowed them to live as free people. I figured it had to be something like that because I've heard stories of even a black man. I think he lived in South Carolina. I'm not sure who, who like they try to say that, you know, oh, black people own slaves too. Well, that, that was true. That was true, but many of them were taking the same action that these Quakers that we just heard about. Yes, sir. So, Scotty, is there any other stories that you saw you want to make sure we got out tonight? Because we're about 30 minutes outside of the end of the program. Yeah, it was that one story about the cannabis arrests going up in 2016. In fact, it represents the most arrests um, Mm -hmm. that occurred. And we keep hearing this rhetoric about violent crime and and what they like to do is focus on one area like Chicago, which I talked about that earlier today on Black Talk Radio News and what's going on uh, in Chicago. What I think is going on with them drug cartels having deals with the U.S. government through the DEA, allowing them to smuggle drugs to Chicago and that a lot of that violence is associated with the Mexican cartels and, and drug war turf. And so, but that isn't the truth, though. That's, those are anomalies. 
violent crime has still at historic lows. And the number one driver of all these arrests was cannabis possession. And I just thought that, you know, it, it, it's just time that people just look at look at that because we got a lot of pro-drug war black people too you know what i'm saying and and the drug war isn't a war to keep drugs off the street when has there never been drugs on the street there's always going to be drugs on the street as long as people want something there's going to be somebody to provide it for them and and they have done a terrible job in stopping any kind of drugs but cannabis cannabis is legal in what almost half the states or or maybe even more than half the states and so but what i mean how did it jump marijuana arrest jump uh, from 2015 by 5.63 percent it increased last year overall drug arrests actually increased last year to 1.557 million 1.57 million for non-violent victimless drug crimes so again they pass these are laws that are put in place to make sure that there is a constant supply of prison slave labor yes uh, I've heard a prosecutor once say one of the leading conservative prosecutors in the nation state prosecutors say that at this point we have so many uh, criminal laws on the books that at any given moment, 150 million U.S. citizens can be considered lawbreakers. Like any given moment, 150 million of you can be arrested because you're a lawbreaker. And and how can you reconcile that when they're giving out marijuana dispensaries? And you have to have a minimum of 250 thousand dollars to be able to invest in them in any of them. That's across mm-hmm. the nation. I was on a constant thing with a gentleman. Uh, Clifford Wallace, who's been for drug rehab for about 20 years now, and he got upset with me because Did I told him. Did he run for president in the Green Party at one point, or he was the leader of the I Green Party? I think he ran for vice president. I've interviewed him a number of times, yeah. too. And he yeah. got upset because when they were pushing it, and he knows the people out of Colorado and Washington and Oregon area, I happened to have run across some of them when I lived in Arizona, and I kept telling him matter to me if you let the law carve out a section to make it okay for those who can't afford it and you're still locking up the man on the street or poor and black people. It doesn't matter if you change the law and you're still leaving a segment to be criminalized. The report also mentioned that a lot of the deportations was related to cannabis as well. Yes. And it's not always actually cannabis. Sometimes it's just accusations. Like, because, you know, remember with T. Ford, Brother Paul Meadow Star, where he was stopped. And we have the recording because I produced the recording of his stop from the police camera where they pointed the flashlight at the back of his car and said, are those marijuana seeds I see in the seat? He's got marijuana right. seeds on the car, in the car. At 2 a.m. in the middle of the night, Lieutenant Windows, he's talking about marijuana seeds and then threatening to kill the man after that. I had a cousin, you know, um, a cousin who lives in New York, went through a roadblock, and they plant, and they put a bag of weed in his car. And he was like, I know that wasn't my weed that you put in there. And he told me, he said, because mine was in the trunk. So I, <laughs> he said, they planted that. They planted that. And he, he um, did not consent to the search 
And because he did not consent and they searched his car anyway, he was able to get the charge thrown out. Yeah, because it's a Fourth Amendment violation. That's it right there. Fourth Amendment violations, man. And uh, last I heard, there are more arrests for simple possession of marijuana in 2016 than there were for all violent crimes. Yes. Yes. That says a lot. And it makes me think of the viral video that just came out where these Black Lives Matter activists got to speak at a white supremacist rally or people for Trump. I mean, what's the difference these days? Now, can got you... to speak at that rally. And in the crowd, there was this one white woman with this, you know, Trump hat on. And they referenced Ern- uh, Eric Garner being choked to death. And she said he was a criminal. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like the dude was accused of, of selling, selling cigarettes. cigarettes. And that's a death sentence in your mind, huh? Selling so the same Lucy's. thing applies to marijuana. Or any arrest you might be a part of. Right. Hey, I don't mean to interrupt, but I got to roll out, guys. Okay. All right, brother. Uh, we're going to work on getting that Constitution thing finished up, too. So, uh, so talk to me offline. We'll get a chance, to, and we'll get it scheduled out and see where we can go. Okay. All right, brother. Peace. All right. All right. Congratulations, too. Let us know how hey, it turns thank out. you. Keep me in the family in your prayers. Indeed. Thank you. Indeed. I appreciate it. Congratulations. Thank brother you. Brother Yusuf Hassan, about to be a father. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's definitely to the world. That's definitely uh, awesome because we need, just in case we don't finish this job in our lifetime, we definitely need uh, more abolitionists to continue to fight. Hey, Scotty, there was one story that I did want to get through too, uh, and that was about the cost of incarceration. That's well, going actually, on right Max, now. let me make this last point, which kind of was yeah. my point. Was you look okay. at all you look at cannabis arrests being the number one arrest last year, nonviolent crime now, and then it's legal in many other states. Now, what did they folk? How many? How much money and manpower do you think went towards arresting all these people for some cannabis? And wouldn't don't you think those resources would have been better directed at solving violent crimes? Under normal logic, yes, that's exactly right. It would be better served uh, solving you know, real crimes. Right. Real crimes. There's victims, and the state ain't the victim. <laughs> you know? Right. The state is not the victim, okay? But yes, yeah, Scotty, absolutely. Hey, right. let, let's take you our know, last station identification break, and uh, then you could uh, get into that story you wanted to share. Yes, sir. All right. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. 
Uh, we are going into our final segment, and I just want to squeeze this one story in here uh, in the form of a question, actually. It comes from an article that came out in 2013 titled, New York City's Yearly Cost Per Inmate Almost Expensive as Ivy League Tuition. And that was from Fox News, nonetheless. And they talk about just how much it costs to incarcerate people there in New York. Uh, they don't mention how much it costs to incarcerate a teenager. And this was prior to Khalif Browder's death. So I, I want to try to tie it together by asking this question. How much money in total was generated by Khalif Browder's arrest and incarceration? Quantify for me how much it costs to torture an innocent 16-year-old man to eventual suicide. How many jobs did that create? Because the last I heard from this article in 2013, the incarceration rates or costs for a single year was $168,000 in 2013 for one person to be incarcerated on average in New York and for teenagers, $350,000 a year. Folks would sell their mama for that kind of money. And these prisons make it every day or every year per body. And that's not counting the costs for arrests, processing, or legal slash judicial fees. Khalif Browder's three years in Rikers could have easily created over $2 million in revenue generation. And that sounds like slavery to me. I do have one more story. Uh, I just saw this one as we know a lot of stuff was going on and we hardly got any kind of press about the abolitionist rally in March that was held in Washington, D.C., the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on August the 19th. Um, and um, here's this Mint Press dot com article talking about it and this one was published earlier this month this is my first time seeing it and i'll just share a little bit from it, it says as white nationalists in charlottesville and boston provoke large and at times violent demonstrations what may have been the largest gathering of abolitionists in the nation's history took place in Washington, D.C. The Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March was the first march on Washington in opposition to prison slavery since the adoption of the 13th Amendment. The amendment, which came at the end of the Civil War, did not abolish slavery in the United States, but instead restricting it, allowing the practice to continue so as long as it was punishment for crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. Known as the exception clause, it is viewed by many in the movement as the bridge between chattel slavery and a system of bondage based on criminalization. Those assembled came with specific demands. The first was the removal of the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. The second demand was for a congressional hearing reviewing the exception clause as a violation of international law. The march was two years in the making. Jailhouse lawyers speak. A collective of imprisoned human rights advocates was the first to issue a call for a march. Solidarity demonstrations took place in several states. And you can read the rest of that. Um, it is posted in our planning uh, group, Abolitionists. Is that the name of our group? Yeah, Abolitionists on BTR Community. Uh, just look for um, the note or the discussion uh, for tonight. So again, yes, Scott, Max, Max, I linked that let me there, as a matter of fact, because it's a lot of press we were getting on the 19th event in the independent press. Uh, some of them was people who have millions of readers as well. 
But yeah, that's I true. also discussed in the meeting that we need to be very wary of the narrative wars, how one word changes everything. And that example would be this article, which says massive prison abolition rally held in Washington, D.C. That was a slavery well, I, I did not, rally. I did not. I did. Well, it says the gathering was made up by a diverse coalition of prison reform and abolition mm-hmm. groups representing various communities affected by incarceration and and yeah um but max i have to say that is accurate reporting because in yes. your keynote in address story. in your keynote address you had to set some of them speakers straight <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> i remember brother i remember man but yeah that's I, I was making a point to the organizers there that we have to be wary of what's being said how this is being titled how right. it's being presented because it could be easily hijacked uh, and and put in different directions. We talked about that before here recently, when we saw that last article come from one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, who started talking about abolition like they just thought of it, and then started applying it to all of these different the things. Abolition of the military. They yeah. never even mentioned this movement at all. Like we don't exist. Like they never heard of us. When I know they have. Yeah, they heard of us because I've sent them uh, uh, communications and emails directly asking them to include. Uh, slavery al- abolition is part of their platform and they still have yet to make it a part we know some of the um, different chapters of Black Lives Matter are down with abolitionism and they understand like Brother DeBaha out of Charleston South yes. Carolina and what have you um, but yeah they were talking about she was talking one of the founders was talking about at abolishing the military industrial complex, abolishing colonialism, about no, you abolish everything but slavery, right? Everything that pissed me off so bad, Max. But this is the last point I'm gonna make about this article. You're right, Max. We have been getting press from the alternative press, the alternative media, the alternative to the mainstream, and many of these platforms are white spaces. Mint, Mint, yes. Mint Press News is a white space. So again, how is it then that people who look like us, whose communities are most impacted by 21st century slavery, have trouble with forming those words, forming that word? You know, it's a much easier word to say than mass incarceration because there's only one word and that's two. So just call it what it is. It's slavery. And, and I just want to make that point that there are white people who are abolitionists who are calling this slavery um, you know shout out to Greg Jacoya the Green Party of South Carolina who was part of our Carolina contingent that traveled to Washington D.C. but again you know we got a lot of, of smart intelligent people with platforms like well it's not their platform but are on YouTube and they get a lot of, of views on their videos and they won't talk about everything but slavery so or talk around yes, I, slavery I have, I have a number of people who are non-black that consider me either their mentor or someone that they look up to and they do everything they can and they're trying to learn what we're doing and to help in any way that they can so when it comes to being an abolitionist yeah, there truly is kind of a color blindness because anybody can be an abolitionist there's no, no color that prevents you from being an abolitionist you could, you're caring about humanity what's happening to human beings because that whole race thing is already an illusion to begin with it's the results of it that are real not the actual thing itself 
Again, racism. So yeah, we got a lot of people like that, Scotty. Yeah, racism and white supremacy was introduced by the, I think it was the uh, 1670 or maybe 1680 Virginia Slave Code was the first appearance of of, of color-coded laws that targeted, that sought to also strip free black people of their rights. So, um, you know, who, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is is the question that I ask. Which came first, slavery or white supremacy? Uh, institute as an institution, and and definitely the record shows that slavery came first. All right, and and white yep. supremacy was a tool to ensure its continuation by making it black only. All right, so I, I definitely want to lay that out there, Max. I'm not sure. Right. I thought this was you, self. But we have a person who has their mic unmuted who may have a question or a comment. Um, and we do have about okay. 10 minutes left, so we're going to have to get through our other segments quick. Uh, Eric Cole, 646, right. you've been hanging on so patiently. Did you have a question or comment? Yes, peace, peace. Yeah, to brother Tag. All, all y'all abolitionists. Hey, Tag. What's happening, my brother? Welcome home. Welcome home. Oh, yeah, uh, peace. No, just... Keeping out uh, another, you know, extremely thorough broadcast, and the the main reason that I chimed in was just to see if y'all had peeped the uh, somewhat recent article out in Counterpunch from the uh, let's say famed slash notorious uh, former slave catcher Serpico, um, who was discussing. Uh, an upcoming uh, protest. At that point, it was upcoming. It's past now. Uh, you know, an action uh, that went on here in the city that uh, the NYPD 12 was involved in. And um, he actually, uh, I wanted to just kind of connect up with the mentions that were made about, you know, the press activity around the 13th Amendment and the fact that nobody can try and ignore it or act like they're ignorant to it, you know, um, uh, Serpico uh, of, you know, Hollywood fame uh, dropped the fact that, uh, quote, institutionalized slavery in correctional facilities nationwide um, is occurring. Uh, So I just wanted to uh, connect that up or add that to, to the discussion about media attention around the 13th. Exactly, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Tag. You're right, man. Like even Serpico is saying, I mean, people that have been involved in this criminal justice system all their lives are telling you this. And for some reason, that trickle-down effect doesn't allow us to uh, process this information properly. And instead, it comes out as reform when it should be coming out as abolition. It it should go in your head as slavery and come out as abolition, not as as reform. Okay. Hey, Max, I'm having trouble finding um, the uh, history of rebellion I have it right up in front if you want me to do it. It's very short. Yeah, if you could. Okay, uh, this one I thought fit in with what we were talking about today. It's all about the illusion of something. And this is considered an important moment in uh, history of rebellion. And it's called the Gloucester Gloucester County Conspiracy, the Servants Plot. And on the first day of September in 1663, a group of white indentured servants held for service, several years of service, some African slaves and Virginia Indians in the Poropotank River and Porton Bay region of Gloucester County met to plan an insurrection against their masters to occur on the 13th of September, 1663. 
It was prevented when John Birkenhead, servant of Major John Smith, another African slave of Gloucester, informed the authorities of the planned uprising. As a reward for his honest affection for the preservation of his country, the Virginia House of Burgess granted Birkenhead his freedom on the 16th of September and gave him 5,000 pounds of tobacco. Additionally, the Burgesses proclaimed that 13th September would henceforth annually be kept holy. While this event is included in several accounts of African-American history, other accounts suggest that enslaved Africans were not involved in this conspiracy. There is little information concerning the details of this event, and there are convincing arguments for both accounts. This incident is dramatized in Mary Johnson's novel, Prisoners of Hope. The plot of 1663 may have been the first serious conspiracy involving enslaved blacks. We here at New Abolitionist Radio remember the servant's plot. Salute. Salute, brother. You know, that white fear of a black rebellion creates illusions, and they just start going nuts, which is what they did in 1966 in San Francisco on this very day. What they still doing today? Yep, going nuts, man, going nuts over somebody taking a knee. Come on, get out of here! All right, so our next segment um, will be our uh, writer of the 21st century underground railroad, and we are focusing on a case out of Chicago. This comes to you by way of the Associated Press. It was published today on ChicagoTribune.com. A former suburban Chicago man who was freed from prison after his conviction for a 1999 murder was thrown out because of invalid evidence will receive $9 million in a settlement with law enforcement agencies involved in the case. The Daily Herald reports Jason Strong, 42, will receive $6 million from the city of Walkingham. The remaining $3 million will be divided between nine other agencies that were part of the Lake County Major Crimes Tax Force, which investigated the killing. I mean, damn, how many agencies do it take to make a slave out of somebody? Damn. Strong, who now leaves in Tennessee, was convicted in 2000 of killing Carpenterville's resident Mary Kate Sunderland, whose badly beaten body was found in a forest preserve near North Chicago in December of 1999. Authorities said Sunderland had been killed in a motel and her body dumped in a forest preserve. Police said Strong confessed to the killings, though he maintained his innocence. He was sentenced to 46 years in prison. Lake County State Attorney Michael Nurheim dropped all charges against Strong in 2015 after Lake County prosecutors and Attorney General Lisa Madigan's office conducted a review of Strong's innocence claim. Uh, Nurheim cited new medical and forensic evidence contradicted testimony at his trial. Witnesses also recanted testimony. Strong's lawyer said he is grateful for the settlement and looks forward to moving on with his life. Other than walk again the defendants that are part of the settlement are lake county vernon hills round lake beach buffalo grove libertyville lincolnshire barrington hills north chicago and park city they are not admitting wrongful conduct or liability under the terms of the settlement nurheim says sunderland's killing remains under investigation and we here at new abolitionist radio uh salute you and we welcome you to freedom, Mr. Jason Strong. Welcome to freedom, Jason Strong. 
So that's about about seven different localities that did that colluded to lock him up. And I wanted to yeah. tell Max the place he just talked about is actually Gloucester County, which is right across the river from me here in Yorktown, Virginia. That's a neighboring county across the York River where the slave rebellion went on. And for those that are concerned, this is not a black man. This is a white man. And yes. we're here welcoming him to freedom because it's happening to everybody these days, man. And it, like it you is, said, man. With all these different departments it, it, involved in the conspiracy to see this man in prison. And see, Max, this is why, and it's not, it, no, uh, let me just put it out there straight like this. Like I was listening to a program today and they were painting these police killings as only black people getting killed by police. No, that's what you primarily see on the mainstream media is they love to highlight the cases of black victims and then a lot of that attention comes because of people uh, engaging in rebellions in these cities like Ferguson, like Baltimore, like other places where it, it wouldn't have been nothing if everybody just would have kept their mouth shut and head down, we would have never heard about them. But if you go to killedbypolice.net, which is a grassroots-based database, I just made a donation to them last week so they can continue their work, but they list them by race. And I'm telling you, man, people of all different ethnicities, skin colors, and religions, and and what have you, of genders, are getting killed by these slave catchers. And it's got to be a reason that they want this the majority of the people in this nation to think it's only happening to black people. You know why? Because scientific studies have shown that the predominant population in this country, white people, don't have empathy for non-white people. There you go. And if they put all it. the white people that's being shot and killed by police, then those white people will have empathy for those other white people and they might uh, go against the slave catchers. So again, you know, You're that's, right. that, as long as they think they're immune, immune to it, there's no reason to reevaluate it because those people deserve it. They're right. Not realizing right. their own people are getting killed. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I do think it's important that we point that out that like Max said, this isn't new abolitionist movement is anybody can be an abolitionist. All you got to do is recognize that slavery was never abolished and work to end it. That's simple. Actually, I have a 15-page application. Uh, just contact me and I'll send it to you. <laughs> Man, it's going to make it hard for you. He's going he gonna to quiz you, right? It's going like, to be like that test they give the immigrants about whether they know U.S. history, right, Max? I know, right? Like well, I said, when, you, when you realize how much money this government spends to undermine movements, it might not be a laughing matter. Yeah. That's right. That's but right. Guys, well, we need to wrap this up, fellas. So yeah. let's get into our closing statements with the evening. We only got a couple minutes. Uh, so uh, what would you like to say, Scotty? Oh, or okay. I, I'll Chris start maybe? first. Um, I right. just, I would just like to say thank you. Thank you to the people who have supported us in this program specifically all over um, these years, the five years we've been on air, who have been sharing it sharing the uh, program and becoming part of our new abolitionist movement and because this this message would not be out there if it was not for you working with us to get this message out there so I just want to say I'm thankful for my abolitionist comrades out there thank you very much 
all I say is thank you and salute to you two gentlemen. Your tenacity and dedication has really gave me a place to vent. And I'm I'm proud to do whatever I can do to help you continue to advance it. Thank Amen. you. Um, I, we've only got a minute left, so I'll just say it just as simple, man. What you call something matters. I'm a poet. One of the most awarded poets in the freaking country. Trust me when I tell you what you call something matters. You can't fix a problem you won't recognize. You can't face an issue you don't even see. And you can't rectify what you refuse to acknowledge. But you gotta remember this much at least. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. 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 Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise up. When famine claims millions.